You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rollins. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org. Welcome to another episode of the Senior Pastor Podcast. I am your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor at Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. I am joined by Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church, Don Wilson, founding pastor of Christ Church of the Valley, Scott Rawlings, founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, and Ken Eidelman, former president of Ozark Christian College and former lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church in Indiana. Before the pandemic, I think it was perhaps the Easter the year before, I preached a sermon on the crucifixion, uh, letting people know how truly brutal and what Jesus went through. And I spelled it all out. And then the next week, I was helping work the visitor's table. And an older lady came up to me, put her finger in my face and said that my sermon had given her nightmares. And that I was never, ever, 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 ever to preach such a sermon ever again. And she marched on. But I'm sure that uh, all of us have had somebody get a little perturbed at what we have said or done as leaders. Dad probably gets more criticism than most for what he says from the pulpit. But let's uh, let's talk about this. This is going to happen. Pastors out there listening, you know it happens. The question is what to do with it. Now, I'll be honest, I thank that woman very kindly. And then the next year I preached pretty much the same sermon um, because I wasn't going to stop doing that. What about you, gentlemen? How, what kind of criticism have you faced? How have you dealt with it? What, how, looking back, the rearview mirror, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? Bob, what do you think? Well, there, there are certain occupations that if you're going to accept that occupation or that calling, you, you better anticipate being criticized. If you're going to be a coach, you're going to have people criticize. If you're going to be a politician, you're going to have people criticize you. If you're going to be a preacher... You, you better brace yourself for criticism. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. So we have to anticipate it. I, I really think that today's preachers probably receive more criticism than preachers of a generation or two ago. There's several reasons for that. One is that we've trained people to be critics. We've got critics in the newspaper, on the opinion page, criticizing politicians and talk sports, sports talk shows, criticizing the players and the coaches. We've got job evaluations, performance reviews. People think if they're not critical, they're, they're shallow. And so when they come to church, they've got that mindset. They're very quick to say what they disagree with and what is wrong. But I think social media has made it more prevalent. It used to be if people were upset, they would write you a letter. And by the time they formalized the letter, they toned it down a little bit. But now they just pound out three or four angry sentences on the computer and push send and it's on your desk. So I, I think we get more criticism, but we we have to develop. Oswald Sanders once said, uh, talked about it. We move from a thin, from a tough skin, a thin skin and a hard heart to a soft heart and a tough skin. We, we've got to develop some tough skin. 
But I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been preaching. Criticism still hurts. You never get to the place where you're above it. I've got a, a brother who is a preacher, retired now, and he does a lot of interim ministry. And about a year ago, he texted me one Sunday afternoon, and his text went, all I said was, God's plan for marriage is one man for one woman for one lifetime. That means that cohabitation, adultery, homosexuality are outside the will of God. A family met me at the door angry, and they said, we're never coming back. It's just that kind of hate speech that caused our son to commit suicide years ago. Why can't you just love everybody? One word. I mean, one word, and people flare up. And 20 years ago, you wouldn't get that kind of response. But people are just angry today. It's the culture. And we've got to get used to it. I'll use this one example. I think the value of playing sports public sports is to learn to deal with criticism. I liked it when I walked into a hostile arena and guys, the fans would boo me. They, you knew they, they, they were rooting against you. Yeah. You get used to having some opposition. And there are times when, if we're criticized, we ought to take it as a badge of honor and say, you know what? Jesus was criticized, c- condemned. Tim Keller said he had people get up and walk out of a sermon, and as they were walking out, in his mind he said, I am not a coward. Beware when all men speak well of you. So I think the first thing I would say about coping with criticism is welcome to the real world. Yeah. you got to expect it. They hit dog that hollers. That's right. Uh, I agree with Bob. I'd probably just say just two things. Number one, don't let compliments go to your head, and don't let criticism go to your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that can kind of get you offset either way. A second thing is, for my life was, I don't know what the formula for success is. I know the formula for failure, try to please everybody. And so I just tried to say, even criticism comes, I'm living for an audience of one, and if I can, if I can do that, I'm going to be okay. But I, I think if you're a leader and making significant impact, it's a badge of courage to know you're going to get criticized. It's it's just going to come, and I think uh, I'd, I'd agree with almost everything he says. I don't have anything to, to really add to that, but I I think you're right. With with Black Lives Matter and the, and the election and everything a couple years ago and COVID, our preachers face more criticism. No matter what they did, people were leaving the church, and it, 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 was, it was tough mm-hmm. on a lot of their mental health. And so, again, just hang in there when, when you're criticized. Hang in there. Uh, expect it. That that's what I. But but don't let it damage your heart. Don't let it damage your heart. I think the mistake a lot of young younger pastors make is they go to one of two extremes in responding to criticism, uh, because it is a splash of cold water in your face when you're young and starting out in ministry. I'm I'm not sure you feel. You're not experienced at receiving criticism. And that usually they gravitate to one extreme or the other. Either on the one hand they're very defensive, they're they're kind of insecure, so they're very they're very defensive, they're in denial. Or on the other extreme, they they believe it all and they're devastated and they curl up in a fetal position internally and they don't think they're all of a sudden that they're called to ministry. You know, this isn't what I what I expected. We got to be somewhere between, you know, that kind of arrogant denial and that uh, reticence to really evaluate it objectively. And um, your, your critics can be your best friend in disguise. Sometimes they're very well disguised. And... Um, <laughs> The fact is, if you're criticized for the right reasons or by the right people, 
it carries the force of a compliment. You've got to filter criticism and objectively evaluate it. And I'll tell you, your wife can be a great help in this area. You know, do you say, you know, I've been criticized for this or that or having said this or that. What's your read on this? And you know me, you know the situation. And so I think your wife can help you objectively evaluate your criticism and maybe make some tweaks, some changes, and maybe just file it away and move on. I remember hearing uh, Tim Keller riding the Staten Ferry back after an evening service at Redeemer Church in New York City. And he said, asked his wife, Kathy, what'd you think of sermon? She says, that oh, wasn't very good. And he finally, after a while, he said, how often do you think I preach a good sermon? She said, maybe one out of four, you know, so there's that too. <laughs> so prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think we have friends, Christian friends, that meet different needs in our life. And there are some people that you can go to who understand and can help you work through criticism. When you, Why did my brother text me on Sunday afternoon? Because he knew I would sympathize with him. I would be as mad about it as he was. And I was a preacher and I understood. And you need to know who can I go to when I'm criticized, who can lift me up. You talking about your wife being a good, Wayne Smith always teased that his wife was not a good sympathizer. <laughs> and she didn't compliment his sermons very often. He got a nasty, nasty critical letter one time and it hurt him so much he read it to Marge and Marge agreed with it. <laughs> he said it wasn't much help. But I, I, I think uh, we can go to some people and they, they will boost us up. But as, as Ken mentioned, sometimes the criticism is valid. Sure. And rather than just brushing it off arrogantly, saying, well, I'm criticized, uh, everybody gets criticized, maybe sometimes you ought to listen. I had a woman in the church at Southeast who was a grammarian. She was not just an English teacher. Yeah. She was strict on the king's English. Right. I hadn't been here very long, and she came to me, and she said, No, Bob, I love you, which is not the way you like a conversation <laughs> to begin. Because no. <laughs> you know the but. but. I love you, but. But I love you, but. You don't always use correct grammar. And I said, Well, Mrs. Klopika, I didn't grow up with the best grammar. Why don't you help me? Why don't you come to the first service, and if you hear me using something incorrect, then you come tell me so I don't make the same mistake next two services. Well, she did. And I hated to see her stand in line. <laughs> but she would say, you said Judy and I, and it should have been Judy and me, and then she'd give me, it's the object of a preposition. She always gives me yeah. the rule. You said who, and it should be whom. You said Westminster, and it's Westminster. You know. But slowly, I think she helped me. Because she, although she was critical, I, rather than getting defensive, as Ken mentioned, I, I accepted it. I hadn't seen her for a long time. Toward the end of my ministry, there she was standing in line again. I thought, what have I done? <laughs> and she came to me and said, no, Bob, you, you used a word today. I'm not sure it's a word. You used the word barbarism. I don't think I, I knew it was a word because I'd read it in Chuck Colson's book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, Miss Quigga, I think that is a word. She said, I'll go home and check it. She called me that afternoon and said, you know, Bob, I looked it up, and here's the definition. You used it perfectly. <laughs> yes. Really <laughs> incomplete 50, Bob Russell won. But, yeah, yeah. but I, I do think at times people in the church can come up, and maybe they don't know how to yep. tell you exactly, but they may be telling you the truth or partial truth 
that you need to listen to. And I think Ken's point is really good, is that you don't get so arrogant, you just brush it, brush it off. Yeah, I've had people come up to me after I preach a sermon, and I don't know about that we can get into this here, here in a second. If there are people in the pews listening, I'm not sure right after you've preached a sermon is the best time to bring up something, you know, that you said that maybe was a mistake, and you may want to give your preacher a few days. But I had somebody come up to me right after a sermon and said, you know, you do this a lot, almost like a nervous tick. And I thought, I don't do that. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I walked off. And I got kind of mad. And so finally, when it was uh, the sermon was uploaded to YouTube, I, I sat there and watched it about 15 minutes in. I thought, I do that. I do that. I had a guy tell me, you put your hand in your right pocket 55 times in that sermon. That hurts. I was preaching in, uh, in Chandler, Arizona, for Roger Storms at his church, and it was during Ronald Reagan's presidency, and, and uh, during my message, I, I was commending Ronald Reagan for declaring the year of the Bible and made some uh, statements that were in, probably were a little political, and, and, but they were definitely interpreted that way by one very sharp young couple that came down to me afterwards, and, and they you know, said that they were offended, that I'd kind of taken a political position in my message, and, and I listened to them, and I said, you know, I think you're right, and in this last service, I will be sure and, and cut that out. I think you're right. I think I need to say that differently. And I could tell that they were just— Taking it back. Yeah, that was not what they expected at all. And I think the, the fact that I was secure, I listened to them, and that I evaluated, and I—, and I agreed with them. And they even wrote a follow-up letter uh, saying that we couldn't believe how you responded to our criticism. They were, they were braced for a, you know, for a verbal. Sam Stone once got a really long critical letter. This one thing after another, he wrote back, you may be right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a great it disarmed line. Him, you know. It's over. Yeah. It's over then. I think, I think every pastor needs a spouse who loves them but doesn't worship them. Uh, because, because if they worship you, you can't take the critique. Yeah. And I would say for me, probably, yeah, I got criticism all the time, but my wife was able to keep me balanced. After the sermon when you're most vulnerable, honestly, I probably felt I preached a good sermon six weeks out of the year. And on those six weeks, I might say something on the way home like, Man, that was good today. Billy Graham would have come forward, and my wife would say, I didn't get a lot out of that. <laughs> and it would just take me down. But on those right. other 40 weeks where I really felt like I didn't get it done, she would say, Honey, man, I got a lot, a lot out of your message today. And she might have been lying, but she was able to kind of keep that balance for me. And, and I think, uh, who is it? It might be somebody in your church, but it might be your spouse. But somebody can really help you with that. At least she was helpful for me. I, I think I had. Have a rhinoceros hide when it comes to criticism. It, it really does not register with me or, bo or bother me, and I think I can ob objectively evaluate it pretty well. I'll tell you when when I'm re I react defensively and I don't react well is when somebody's criticizing my wife or my kids, or you know my grandkids or whatever. I, I remember uh, one time I just went online and looked up Kyle's name because I wanted to see you know how some of his books were being received and I, well I read this one long diatribe that some guy in front of a computer screen somewhere who had a lot of time on his hands just really took him to task and, and it was not written very kindly 
And so I told Kyle that. I said, I read that. And he said, did you, did you read what he said about this? He said, Dad, let me stop you right there. He said, I don't read that stuff, and I don't want you reading it. I thought, oh, well, okay. I went ahead and answered the guy in a defensive way, of course, but uh, <laughs> he still, <laughs> you know, answer a fool according to his folly, right? <laughs> you know, that's my Achilles heel probably, uh, is the protectiveness, I guess, of a dad, of grandfather. We've all encountered situations in our church where someone could really benefit from support and talking with a therapist. Thankfully, God has provided individuals who are specifically trained to be therapists. And I am genuinely excited to share a fantastic option with you today from BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's episode. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible, which is so crucial because finding a therapist can be quite challenging, especially when you're limited to local options. But with BetterHelp, everything becomes easier because it's an online platform. By answering a few questions, they can match you with a professional therapist in just a few days. Signing up and getting matched with a therapist is a breeze. Simply follow the link in the description, betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media. Not only does clicking this link support our channel, but it also gets you a 10% discount on your first month of BetterHelp. It's a win-win. You know, finding the right therapist is kind of like dating. Sometimes it takes a bit to find the perfect fit. But with BetterHelp, if you don't quite click with your initial therapist, no worries. You can easily switch to a different one for free without worrying about insurance or network restrictions. As Christians, we sometimes don't think of therapy as an option, but it's essential to recognize that there are people available to help us through difficult times. So I want to encourage you to consider this valuable option. Whether you need someone to talk to about everyday struggles depression, anxiety, or any other challenges. If you or someone you know is struggling, I strongly recommend exploring online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash 1801media. That's betterhelp.com slash 1801media to get started. Once again, thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this channel. Let's all take a step towards better mental health and support one another on this journey. You're not alone, and there is help available. Better help. The criticism is, it depends on who's giving it sometimes. If it's somebody in the world, it really doesn't bother me. If it's somebody in the church that I respect, then it's going to bother me a little. Every once in a while, you get criticism from somebody who's fairly new in the faith and they think they know more than they know. And that's hard to not be defensive. I remember preaching and I talked about Christianity is the only religion in the world that, and I can't remember what I said, but I had a new believer come up to me afterward and say, you should never use the word religion in referring to Christianity. Well, I said, you know, in the Bible, the word religion does at times apply to Christianity. But I realized as soon as I said that, I wasn't getting through to her. But I, I wanted to get, I started to get defensive because she was hurting my ego. Really? I mean, this is a person who was new to faith and she dared to challenge me. And you, you realize a lot of times when you get defensive, it's just your own pride to start. I think one of the hardest scriptures to apply is when Jesus said, Blessed are you when men 
revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And that's really hard to do, to, to rejoice and be glad. It takes you a while to, to get there. I got a nasty, nasty anonymous letter one time. And I know you're not supposed to read it, but it was at home and I read it. And 15 minutes later, I had an appointment with uh, Steve Chapman, who was he and his wife Annie were gospel singers in Nashville. And Steve's one of these loosey-goosey guys. Nothing ever bothers him. Everything watered off a duck's back. And I said, Steve, i got to be honest with you, I'm probably not going to be the best companion at lunch today because I got this nasty anonymous letter. And I was looking for some comfort, and I showed it to him. He read it and says, well, you got that woe off your back. <laughs> he said, well, Jesus said, woe to you when old men's, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Let's go on, you know. And it'd be good to have that kind of attitude. But I, I read somewhere that... President Bush, the first President Bush, was listed in some caustic magazine as one of the 10 most overrated celebrities in the world. Now, most of the people would be down in the dumps because of that. He wrote the other nine and invited them to come to the White House and they had a party. <laughs> Good for you, man. Yeah. So if, if we can get to the point where we say, you know what, is this true? If it's true, I ought to listen to it. If it's not true, then I'm going to rejoice and be glad that I've got that woe off my back. Yeah, I, just, I just thought of something. Is there a difference between critique and criticism? I think it depends. Yeah, I think there is. I think a critique is going to be more even-handed. And probably when I think critique, I think of someone who knows what they're talking about. So if I'm giving a sermon and my former preaching professor says, hey, Matt, you know, you're doing this. That, okay, that's a critique. I know that he knows what he's talking about. He's been teaching and studying this for a long time. If it's another pastor, a fellow pastor, who says, you know, I was listening to you the other day and you said such and such. And, you know, that, then I think that that's a critique. I think a criticism is, like Bob said, it, it can be nasty. It can be short. It's not thought through. It's just I, that lady who got up in my face and said that my description of the crucifixion gave her nightmares and I should never do it again. And she was just, she had her finger in my face and was barking. I I just, she's an older lady, I just said, yes, ma'am. But I, you know, at the same time, I'd heard from four or five people that week talking about they'd never thought about how much the gospel really cost Jesus himself. And so I took that as a criticism. She just didn't like it. It wasn't, did it help anybody? It wasn't, it was just personal taste going, I don't like it. The reason why I ask that, I'm the youngest of four brothers, and after <laughs> every sporting event, my dad would sit around the table and replay every game and say, you went that way, why did you go that way? Why didn't you go this way? Sure. And so I grew up, I guess, expecting that as natural. And maybe I saw it as critique, wanting me to get better, not criticism necessarily. But I know one of the, I think the keys for the success of our church was I had mystery shoppers come all the time. I'd, I'd meet a, a businessman and say, come and evaluate the parking lot to my sermon, to the bathroom, yeah. to everything. Yeah. So I welcome that all the time. But I guess what you're saying is because I asked for their input, yeah. then that makes it more critique than sure. criticism. Okay. I'm just trying to say what's sure. the difference. And, and, and if it's somebody comes to me and they said, look, if somebody even comes up to me right after a sermon, which I've tried to tell a congregation, like, you know, if you've got, if you've got, you know, got something you didn't like, just sit on it for a day or two and send me an email or, or something like that. And I'll look at it and I'll consider it. And, but I'm okay when somebody's coming up and, and, and they say something like, why did you say this? Because I don't, I don't think that's clear. I don't you know, think people really understand that. Or That's fine. I, I think that person's not being nasty. I think that person. But when it comes from just 
purely, I don't like this. I don't like it. I don't like you. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like, then I think it's just a criticism. So that kind of criticism is probably born of projection. And that, that has helped me to evaluate criticism. Is there something going on with this person that they're they're projecting onto me because I'm a visible figure, right. you know, and I'm an authority figure. And so you wind up getting some projected anger. It, it isn't anything you've done, really. It's just you're in the line of fire. And there's a great book written by Brant Hansen uh, called Unoffendable. Man, it was an eye-opener. I read it about three or four years ago. I was more than that now, six or seven years ago. And uh, had all of our staff at the, at the church read it. And, I mean, secretaries as well as, as pastors. And in the book, he, he just unpacks the Gospels to say, when was Jesus ever personally offended? Answer, never. He was never personally offended. Was, was he offended? Yeah. When the money changers moved into the outer court, the only place that the Gentiles had for prayer, yeah. that ticked him off. And uh, he was offendable, but not personally right. offended. And, um, and I, think, I think that is a tremendous capacity for a leader to be unoffendable, untouchable. I remember Dennis Fulton years ago talking about how much he loved his dog when he was a young boy. And his dog got hit by a car and was whimpering in the street. And he went out and picked his dog up, take the dog inside, said, my own dog bit me. And he said, I ran inside, leaving the dog out there so hurt that my own dog bit me. He said, I, I came to understand my dog bit me, not because he didn't love me, but because he was hurting so badly. And there, a lot of times people sitting in the pew are hurt by divorce or a child who's prodigal. And you touch that wound and they're going to lash out at you. What you're referring to here, a lot of times they're projecting their issues on you. It's the hit dog holler thing. Yeah. But it's also going back to some of the episodes that we've, we've recorded. We've talked about preaching in the age of wokeism and so forth and standing on biblical principles boldly. Well, you're going to get criticized if you do that. I mean, you are going to get criticized. I know dad was pretty early money on preaching on abortion and marriage. And uh, we had he got into a tangle with the county board over a, over a group that was coming in and basically was supposed to build as a car show. But it was an excuse to do drugs and underage drink and women to strip on top of cars and and he led a group of pastors to keep them out from coming back into town. And you faced a little criticism for that, just a little bit, <laughs> including. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> I knew where I stood. You know, when you know that you have people who have, Bob kind of did, and I know Don did because I know some of them. When you have eldership that have your back, you can take a lot and not worry about it much. But if you're, a, if you're a lone wolf out there by yourself, it, it, can, it can get you in a heap of trouble because you can start being like a wounded something. But you felt other. like your elders were behind you. And you have to know that. And, and if you do, and, and they're, they're back there saying, you have added hoss, we're in your corner, you can take on the world. And you desperately need that. And, and we ran those people out of town. I called your office, and you were playing golf or something. And I talked to your secretary. Probably doing a funeral. And she, t yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. And she told me to go to because they were leaving Saudi County and coming down here uh, uh, south of Louisville somewhere. You sick me on to a Baptist preacher, down, and I went to see him. And he got in trouble later over some financial stuff. But the, all of their their buildings got 
copper covered on the, I don't know what the name of the church it's the Baptist church but he was he called in a, one of the county commissioners and we sat there and talked and they were ready to get rid of them before they got there and I had more, I was having more fun <laughs> you know because because uh, we were winning it's a fun but you've got to expect some, when you take a sure, stand you're going to get sure, some criticism sure. and the ca- whole county fair board that was going to get fifty thousand dollars for them to use the fairground for that week well, they were on me like an old end would be a June bug. They were after me. What now? I thought you were raised on the farm. You ought to know what a June bug is. For you know, in, in the retreats that I have for younger preachers, I take them down to the Slugger Museum, and Jack Hillerick, the owner, takes them up in the office and talks about leadership. And he has a slogan there called Swimming with the Fish. He has a fish bowl and a scuba diver in the fishbowl. And over here he's got four walls and three guys, stick figures, in this, in these, in this room. He said, these are the experts over here, the guys, what he calls four-wall thinking. And here's the guy swimming. He said, these guys, they think they know what the fish need. But let me ask you a question. Who knows more about the temperature of the water? The scuba diver or the guys in the Who knows what the fish are eating? The scuba diver or the guys in the four walls? And he goes through all those questions. Of course, it's the guy who's swimming with the fish. And I think one of the mistakes we make in the church is we don't swim with the fish enough. The obvious example of that is a worship team. Who evaluates how good the worship was last week? The worship team. They evaluate what went and what went. But hardly ever do they swim with the fish, say, did this really go over? Was this moving to you? What's most effective? But the same with preachers. You know, we evaluate our own preaching. And I, I was on a podcast a week ago in which I was asked to list some things I would do differently about preaching. I said, if I could do it again, I think I would have an evaluation team. I wouldn't have them evaluate my sermon last week. But I would have them maybe collect some things once every three months, gather together, and have these people I respected say, no, what do you think went best? What, what do you think I, I do that turns people off? Because I could receive it a whole lot better three months later or if it's in a group of sermons than I would Monday morning list quarterback about yesterday's sure. sermon. And I think I would swim with the fish more by having some kind of evaluation team uh, like you were talking about, Don, that could give feedback. And, and I think that kind of criticism could be beneficial. When it was Dottie Justice who I, I never could figure out why they thought I was such a hick, but they, they were worried about that. And she was an English teacher. She's the one that wrote that little book about those things, thing you were talking about. And, and, and she was a, really a bright woman. So she would take what I would said that needed to be looked at, that I need to, and she'd just write it down and said, you might want to check this. And, and I trusted her. And there was actually a time or two when she was right, and that kind of surprised me if that means anything to you. Early on in my ministry, I, I remember saying as a young preacher, you know, as the Bible says, God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. <laughs> now, <laughs> you're just playing on me. You know, it, it, how a person approaches you has a lot to do with how you receive their criticism. And one old guy came up to me and said, where, where in the Bible does it say 
God works on it. That's all you need. Just ask me a question. I said, I'll look it up and get back with you. Good enough. Yeah. I looked real hard. <laughs> and I finally said, you know what? Why would I say that? That's yeah. him. And, uh, but it, I received that and remembered that because he came at me in, in such a way. Well, I had an elder like that, John Foster. Did you know John Foster? Just, yeah, a little he bit. was a tender guy. He loved me. And, but he could confront me when I was wrong. And he came to me one time. And I had talked about a couple shacking up. My generation shacking up is just a common phrase. But yeah. his generation, about one ahead of me. A little crude. A little crude. And he said, uh, that phrase you used last Sunday in the sermon, shacking up, you know, that didn't sound like a Bob Russell phrase. Mm. Yeah. That is so good. Mm. He mm. didn't say, well, I was really offended by that. I mean, I've talked to 20 people, and they were offended. <laughs> I can't believe you said it. He just said, it didn't sound like something you'd normally say. And I, I received it. I told John, I said, I'm never going to use that in a sermon again when you're in the audience. <laughs> we had, when I was in Prairie Green, Illinois, years ago, there was one of the deacons. He should have been an elder, but he wasn't. And because his name was Bishop McMurray, so he was already, yeah. And he and his wife, oh, maybe once a month, would have Alice Kay and me over for supper as a farmer. And he told me one time, he said, now, Brother Scott, he was so kind, you were talking about, he said, uh, you're probably the best preacher we've had here at Prairie Green, and, and he had some good ones. I mean, he set me up like a duck pen, you know. Paul Benjamin was there. Yeah, Paul was there. Yeah, Don Sharp, you know, there are lots yeah, of them. Yeah, that's right. He said, uh, but you, you need to work on your, spirit, your personal spiritual development. He said, in the long run, that'll serve you better than anything. He said, now I can tell you what I do. He said, I go to, uh, to Galatians and I look at the fruit of the Spirit and I use them just like you would when you were a kid growing up and you marked on, on the side of the door how you were growing. He said, I go over that every day of my life. And he said, I can tell you for me, it really helped me. Well, he'd already told me that spiritually I needed a kick in the pants, you know. <laughs> I was, you know, I was in my 20s, and, and, and you think you know everything, and those things really help. And I don't know about you guys, but I've actually said things in a sermon that I didn't know I said. Hmm. And then somebody would remind you just recently, we were talking about some patriotic stuff, and I was talking about Tokyo Rose, and instead of saying Axis Sally that the, that the Germans used, I said, Axis Annie. Now, Hyann Nevins, and I didn't know I said it. Afterwards, one of the old veterans came up to me, and he said, well, who in the blankety-blank was, was <laughs> Axis Annie? <laughs> I got the point. He, and he's my buddy, too, you know. <laughs> that's, that's why when I preached, literally the first service, I walked in a room three minutes, just as soon as I walked off, and I had people come in and say, that was not a good use of humor. You didn't say that right, or you, you know that sort of thing. But because I ask for it, right? I again, you it's, can it's, take it's, it. It's the spirit yes. because right. I because I didn't preach one and then do video the other five. When you preach that many live, I don't want to make the same mistake for the next one. And so uh, again, it's the spirit, but it's also uh, I think everybody needs somebody to uh, speak into their preaching for us as preachers. And I think also 
even one thing even more powerful, every once in a while, watch yourself on video. Yeah. And, and you'll see that even the gestures and other things or facial expressions you don't think you did contributed a whole different attitude of how people received it. And I made many mistakes doing that. Well, folks, we're about out of time for this episode, but hopefully we found this helpful. I hope you tune in next time. Thank you for listening this time. I want to thank Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Scott Rawlings, and Ken Eildeman. So until the next episode, remember, if you want wisdom, you go to those who've been there, done that. Thank you. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.